Paul, how's it going? Good, Yawacha. I'm glad we could do this. So for the folks listening, this is something pretty unique that we're trying. I've never done this before, and I don't I don't think you have either. This will actually be a two-platform podcast. So obviously here on Millennial Manhood, and then also on your podcast and, and website, Great American Man. So for the listeners who don't know who Paul Arnold is and that don't know about greatamericanman.org, tell us a little bit about your story. I'm a 56-year-old guy living up in Michigan, and I had a great childhood. My dad was great, and I loved playing on sports teams, so I always liked hanging out with guys. And when I hang out with guys, I relax. I don't worry about my wife and what she needs or my kids or job. I just relax and be me. So all through my life at different places that I've lived, I've always sought out guys to hang out with. And to do things. And you probably know this. Guys like to do things. And then they'll talk afterwards, right? Or they'll talk while they're putting on a new roof or whatever. So over the years, uh, I've been at churches as pastors and chaplains. And my feeling was that guys are really missing that time with other guys. And I would mentor guys in their 20s and their 30s and saying, you know, can you help me out? You're two steps ahead of me or you're one step ahead of me. And then I realized I didn't have the time to, and the availability to get to these guys who were asking. So I thought, I'd really like to do a podcast that would be fun with my buddies from different states. And then this year, I've taken it up to another step because sports is so, you know, it's current today and it's old news tomorrow. But some of the issues that guys face are always there and they just need somebody to listen to and just hear them out. And so Great American Man was formed to help guys have a resource. So they can go and read articles from different guys on different topics. And you can look up topics, whether by your age group, like millennials or husbands or fathers or what you're going through in life, or by topics, like if you like outdoors or if you like media or tech or style, even what you like to wear, um, or character, or how to do relationships or how to know how to ask for that uh, promotion at work. So I have a business degree. Uh, and I work in a business right now and expanding my responsibilities there. So all that combined, meaning that uh, this is really a fun project to me that's starting to take off. And um, I was looking for other men who had the similar vision of just pouring into other guys' lives and encouraging them and being real. And I found your podcast and I really liked it. Well, I appreciate that. You actually reached out to me on Facebook and initially – you know, I remember. Like, oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember I was sitting on the couch and I looked at the message and I looked at my wife and I said, "Hey, babe, look at this!" Like I got this random message about this guy and he's got a website. And yeah. always my biggest fear, uh, because of the current climate, is that somebody's going to send me a website or reach out to me that's like hardcore political or hardcore, you know, X Y Z. And what I appreciate about your website and about what you're trying to do, it's just like basic man stuff how to run an ultra marathon or, you know, plug in some masculine activity that's almost lost to the Western ethos at this point. So I really appreciated that. And I thought it was a, a really cool concept. You know, what is, what has surprised you probably the most since you've been doing great American man? Well, the first year was really the podcast and just having fun talking to guys. But what I would find is these guys I was talking to, like my buddy Chris, who's 30 years old, has first child, he's in real estate. He was starting to ask me questions after we got done with the sports talk. Like we get done recording like a 45-minute podcast and we talk another 40 minutes 
about all these other issues. And so we started doing podcasts like, what does it mean to be a dad for the first time? Or, or how do you uh, go into work when you're not getting along with your boss? And I, you said it's just average guy stuff. I feel like I'm a pretty average guy, but what surprised me the most is that guys are looking to talk about really basic stuff and they're looking for somebody just to hear them out. And maybe because guys don't often live near their fathers anymore or they don't have a good relationship with their dads, or even maybe social media has sort of dumbed down our relationships. I mean, we used to go with a buddy out to you know, grab a beer or coffee or, or go help them with their car to fix it. And we're not having those conversations anymore. So guys asking some very basic questions um, has really surprised me. Uh, and just one article I have on the website is how to listen to your wife. And that sounds like so basic. But there's some things I learned the hard way not to listen to my wife. So if I can help some other guy out there listen a little better to his wife, hey, that's great. Yeah. So how did you come across Millennial Manhood? So, hey, like everybody else, I did a Google search, man. I was looking for the idea that most of the guys who are coming to me and saying, hey, can you mentor me? Can you listen to what I'm going through? We're millennials. And my son's a millennial and he's crazy busy. He's going to law school. He's got two little girls. Um, and I know that he probably would seek out another guy that's not his dad, just sort of run things by. And I thought, what's going on out there in podcast world? Who's doing this kind of work? What I appreciate about you was that you were trying to say, hey, listen, guys, we're not what the media is portraying us to be. We're not ogres. We're guys that have real thoughts. And uh, we need to stand up and say, this is what manhood is. And we can discuss it in a way that makes sense without getting over macho about it or over try to please the sensitivity police out there too. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting line we try to walk because at the end of the day, I think the mission has always been to just help young men get better in general and to have honest conversation and to have a genuine conversation. And I, I thought something that was interesting. I remember when we first talked on the phone, you I don't know if you said the idea for the name Great American Man or or where it came from, but you specifically described your dad as a great American man. Right. So, so what did you say? You were 56, 58? Yeah, I'm 56, man. Don't rush it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, your dad's part of really that last generation before technology almost just took over our lives in, in every capacity. So so what was your relationship like with him? How did he impact your life? And what are some of the lessons you learned? And, and why would you describe him as that great American man? Definitely. So my dad grew up in Detroit, Michigan, played sports, went to college, and he was in the Navy ROTC. So he served at the Pentagon during the Korean War. And I'd always ask him, like, Dad, what did you do in the Navy? And he said, Dad, he said, Paul, I can't tell you. And I'm thinking like he's embarrassed or something. And then about uh, 10 years later, he pulls me aside and I can tell you now, Paul, what it, I did. And I said, why is that? He says, well, my security clearance is now passed. I served in the Pentagon with the very first computers that were decoding signals from Korea and the Soviet Union. And there was a room with these huge vacuum tubes that you had to be really careful because if one of those exploded or you broke it, It'd be like shrapnel going everywhere. And so um, we like to joke around that he was in the first NSA without it being named that. Um, but then he came home and he went to education and it was a dean at a college. 
And he raised us in a way that he was very active in our lives. He was climbing the ladder. He was a provost. He's in line to be the president of a small college around here. And it was in the late uh, 60s, early 70s. And he was spending a ton of time at work. And one day he got home and my mom talked to him and said, you know, you're missing out on the kids. You know, I have three sons, one daughter. Is this the life you want? And at that point, he switched jobs to a community college, took a job that was reliable and paid the bills, but was not going to lead him to be a president of a large university. At that point, he started coaching me in Little League Baseball. And he invested in me. We had great time fishing, um, sports, baseball, football, all these things, hockey. And we just had a great time. And I really learned from him how to be a man, to greet people with a good handshake, uh, how you took care of things at home, fixing up things, uh, how you held yourself in public, uh, look at people square in the eye. And um, so he was a huge impact on me. And I was really motivated to go out and to be successful, to sort of prove him right and thank him for all the investment he put in me. That is awesome. So how did you, you know, I feel like a lot of the younger guys we've had on the podcast, one of our biggest collective fears is not living up to uh, the Superman that we've created in our own head of our own fathers. Mm. Um, You as someone who's actually raised kids and are a father and grandfather, Mm -hmm. how did you handle that? (laughs) Not always well. And um, there's times where I would lean on other men. I think what the greatest thing my dad taught me, or one of the great things, is he had friends that he would hang out with. Uh, And these were buddies of his, tight buddies. So he had time for his family, but he had a circle of friends that he would go play tennis or golf and he'd talk to at work and at home. And throughout the time I was raising my kids, I would also lean on men in my life. Uh, like my best friend from high school, we've stayed in touch and I'd call him and say, man, I don't know what to do with my son. He's really rebelling. And uh, how do you handle it? And we compare notes. Um, So I think that you have to think of the big picture and you got to be firm with your kids early on and then you build respect. Um, But you need to be firm so they know how to push against uh, something. If you don't stand for anything, then your kids really go all over the place. But if you stand up and say, these are the rules, and you're not angry about it, and you stick to those rules, that consistency is a huge gift to give to your kids. And then as they get older, my kids are both grown in their 20s now, um, then it changes. It's a whole different model. It's more about mentoring now and listening to how they go through things and seeing what they need, because they don't need me to tell them what decision to make, but they want to work it through with somebody they trust. Um, so my dad really taught me how to have a good circle of friends around you. And just to be honest that you don't have all the answers, but to be consistent with your kids as best you can. That's really good advice. Actually, it's what you said about being, um, I think you used the word stern, but giving them something to push back against because it gives them that consistency, being consistent with your children. I never thought about it as being consistent. That's so simple. It's genius. Oh, it's not. I don't take all the credit for that. I mean, I've read so many books, man. I used to be a bookstore manager and I'd read all these things. And, um, you know, you have a real great way of interviewing people. And you usually ask at the end of the podcast, if you could go back to your 18 year old self, what would you say to your 18 year old self? Right. Don't you ask that? 
Yep. And I asked, I told my wife about that before this podcast tonight. I said, you know, I know he's going to ask me this. And we discussed it back and forth. So I have an early answer for you on that one. You ready? Go for it. All right. So, so Paul goes and sorry, you broke up on me there, but I'll, I'll just repeat. Paul will uh, go back to 18 year old Paul and tell him himself one thing. What is it? Right. So it was a great question you put out to all of your people coming on your podcast. And I think I'd go back to my 18 year old self and say, work on your own confidence and being good with who you are. And that's going to influence people more than you trying to just charm people and prove how great you are. Uh, I know at 18, I was really into trying to be the best and successful and, and impress other people. When I learned later in life that working on who I was and having more confidence in who I was without being arrogant, but just saying, hey, this is who I am. And if you like it, it's great. If you don't, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But having that authenticity inside and that confidence is incredibly uh, influential if you learn how to be yourself. But I was so busy trying to prove myself and be better than I thought. And my dad had a way of charming people, and I tried to emulate that. And then I realized later, hey, be yourself and own up to things. And if you really don't like something, just say it. And people like that because they know where you stand instead of guessing where you stand uh, instead of being a people pleaser. Ooh, I I think the people knowing where you stand is so important. And one, kudos to you for getting to that question before I got to ask it. You're the first person that's ever done that. So good job on doing your homework. Hey, I did my homework. I, I know, exactly. I like it. But I think in today's society, because of the environment that we live in, because of the technological advancements we've made in such a short period of time, and we don't really know how to adjust to it as human beings, I think mm-hmm. that's probably one of the hardest things in day-to-day interactions with each other. Um, you don't really know where anybody stands because everything's right, so shallow. Afraid. Yeah. Or you're afraid they're going to come back at you with all sorts of venomous attacks. Like, how can you believe that? Yeah. You're not allowed to have conversation anymore. And it's, it's really cool. So my co-host, Adam, uh, him and I were hanging out a couple weeks ago and I, um, I complimented him on something uh-huh. and he looked at me and said, and this is the greatest compliment somebody can give me. He looked at me and said, you know what? The fact that you told me that actually makes me feel good. Cause I know if you said, if you told me that if this looked bad, you would tell me, Adam, that's butt ugly. You need to stop. Right. And I thought to myself, right. Hey, I really appreciate that. That's my reputation. I like that. Thank you. Right. I, that's what I love about having a really good friend. My best friend I've known since seventh grade, in you know middle school and i just saw him this weekend he lives in indiana and he's the type of guy that he knows me he loves me enough to tell me paul you're full of it and mm-hmm. you need to get over this you know the thing you're angry about at your wife or at work get over it. or he'll tell me you're right that was a bunch of bs and you got to stand your ground um and so we have this real trust factor and then because we've done so many things together like goofing off in high school um <laughs> You know, those shared experiences and then rooming together in college. Uh, we have each other's back. We trust each other. Um, and not everybody has a lot of friends. In fact, I don't know if you can have a lot of friends like that because it takes a lot of uh, common history together. But I do think um, you should be out there looking as a man for other people in this season of your life that can help you to be a better man, a better husband, a better worker. 
people in your life that can help you. And I saw this really great quote um, that Tim Wengler put on in the website, The Man Effect. He quoted another guy named Jim Rome that says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I thought, whoa, you know, like, who do I choose to spend time with? That's a reflection of my values and who I want to be. So guys, I think picking who you spend time with is really important and will influence how you handle life. So what would you say to the guys? And I come across this a lot talking to a lot of young men, um, whether it's people reaching out to me on the internet or, you know, locally people find out that I'm doing a podcast, they've heard it and they talk to me. A, a theme that I'm hearing is it's almost as if we've, we've forgotten how to make friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't really know how to build relationships anymore. And I know me personally, and this is just me, myself and I, so it doesn't have to be everybody, but I know a lot of guys feel the same way. Uh, one way we build relationships is we, you know, we tease each other and we basically <laughs> tear each other apart right. and see if you're strong enough to be part of the group. You know, I, right. I need to be able to make fun of you in order, in order to be able to trust you. And that's somewhat consi- consistent and, and remained, but the actual depth and building of relationship. I mean, in your opinion, in, in, in the years that you've had on, on this planet and, and the friendships you've built, how do guys build relationships and what are they really looking for when they're looking to build a relationship? Yeah, that's a d- debatable part beca- uh, point because some people, I've read some studies say that you really can't intentionally look just to make friends. Instead, you need to say, okay, what am I, who am I inside first and what am I interested in and who will share that uh, outlook? Because if you're just looking to do friends, um, is that going to be like you're, you come across too needy right off the bat, like it's all about me. Instead of saying, okay, who do I want to become? Who shares in this vision? Mm. Like me reaching out to you was like saying, I'm not asking you to be my best friend, but we have something in common and we build on that. So I think having common interests is incredibly important or common age group. Like I know a group of guys at church that are all young professionals have um, young kids and they can talk about that. They're in that same season of life. And it makes it easier to talk about things. Or if you're interested in college football or you're interested in tech stuff, um, that all starts the process. But sometimes you can't always predict who's going to be your best friend. Like my best friend, his personality is different than mine. But you're right. We tease each other. And I do think that's part of the um, sort of the man code. Like uh, we don't want to get too sentimental, but we want to see if we're good enough friends that we can take each other's teases. So Making friends is a hard thing to do, and I I worry a little bit about guys going to work all day, and they get tired, and they just go on their computer, and they're just you know looking at YouTube videos all night or whatever, and then they go to bed, and they're not building that relationship. They're just staying within themselves. So I don't have a quick, easy way to look for a best friend, but I would say common perspective, common interest, and then trust, building that trust over time when you're willing to share who you really are. Well, I think part of that key phrasing was at least what stood out to me. Who do you want to become and what is your mission? Mm -hmm. I think that's so key. How many people have written down a value statement? What do you believe? What are your values? What is your mission? What is your goal in life? What do you, this just sounds corny. Where do you see yourself five years from now? It's kind of become this interview trope that you get asked when you're looking for a job. But no, really, where do you see yourself five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? 
have a vision, have a mission, have a purpose, have a goal, um, and, and give yourself direction and clarity in life in general. So let me ask you a question. Before you got married, did you talk to your wife about common goals and common visions? Do you Did you feel like you were going in the same direction before you got married? Yeah, to a large extent. I don't think we would have gotten married if we didn't have, for example, the same value set, uh, uh, same vision for family and really where we want to get. Um, I think, so my wife and I do a good job of balancing each other because I'm a uh, big thinker, quote unquote. Um, and by that, I mean, sometimes my thinking can get a little too big, whereas she'll rein me in and say, okay, babe, like <laughs> I, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but let's make this a little more realistic. And, uh, so on my end, I, I pull her out of her shell a little bit. And on her end, she brings me back down to earth a little bit, if that makes right. sense. Right. You compliment each other. Yeah. And we- when I used to, to counsel couples before they got married, I'd have them write down in five years, what are your goals? And I said, don't show it to each other until you come back to me. And then we'd, we'd discuss it. And then we'd also talk about their different contrasting personalities where you're stronger together than when you were apart. And I think with a really good friend, you can have that contrast and you can have that friendship and you just have natural fun. You can't force that. You know, there's a certain element where it just works. And once you find that, I think guys need to keep up with friendships because we're so often moving on to the next thing. And we many guys have to move for their job or do something else. And we sort of leave the friends behind with the old job instead of staying in touch with them. And my best buddy and I, for about seven years, we didn't see each other because we were busy raising kids and we were in different states. And then we realized how important it was to us. And so now we meet at least three or four times. I drive there. He drives here because we value it so much. Um, And I think guys need to say, okay, what do I really value in this other friend of mine? I mean, because he can help me to get to that goal where I want to be, which is maybe stronger in my identity, clear about my purpose. Um, It can be all those things. Because I think with a guy, for me, I relax a little more. I can just hang out and have fun. We can laugh at goofy old John Candy movies. Do you know who John Candy is? I know who way? John Candy is. You know, the first time I saw John Candy was actually the cartoon Camp Candy, and then oh, I saw no way. yeah, and then I saw his uh, uh, movies later on. But I do know who he is. Yeah. So my best buddy Dave, on my uh, night before I got married, uh, we he said I got a perfect plan for us. Uh, no wild bachelor party. We're going to go back and watch a marathon of John Candy movies and eat tons of really, you know, Snickers bars and all the wrong things for you. And for us, that was great. We were just laughing and having a great time. And, you know, I didn't feel uh, like all the pressure at that point. He knew what I needed at that point. Yeah. And um, that takes time to have that type of friendship. But then I have a different circle of friends. They're not quite that tight, but they can help me in different ways. Um, So I have several guys that help me more of my uh, faith and spiritual walk. Like I can call them and ask questions, what they think about something. And I have some friends that are more my sports guys who I do my podcast with and I go to games with. Um, So not putting all my eggs in one basket, right? But having a collection of different friends that I can hang out with and enjoy. And hopefully I'm there for them as well. Yeah. And what you said about not feeling pressure and being able to relax and just kick back. 
I think that transcends through so many different aspects of life. So when people ask me, Hey, how did you know you were going to marry Tamara? I tell them, well, Tamara was my best friend from the moment we met. And I mean, best friend in the sense that we were so relaxed around each other and we just had a great time and we clicked and, you know, to this day, she's my best friend. She's my wife, but she's also my best friend. And then, but also in, in the friendships that I have with guys, you know, James, who was the very first person I interviewed for this podcast because mm-hmm. I needed somebody who wouldn't ask the question if anybody would ever listen to it. So that was yeah. that was right. the reason I asked like, him. Who are you and why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of said, Hey James, I'm doing this podcast. You want you want to be interviewed? And he said, Sure, let's go. He's my best friend. He was best man at my wedding. Um we haven't lived in the same city in I think twelve or thirteen years. Mm-hmm. But Whenever we pick up the phone, so I live in Nashville, he lives in Houston, we're both from Memphis, but whenever we pick up the phone, it's like we never even skipped a beat. It, it, it really is. And, you know, we end the phone call and say, hey, love you, man. Talk to you later. Right. And, right. and that's genuine. And, you know, if he needed me to show up to Houston tomorrow, you know what I'd do? I'd buy a plane ticket or hop in my car and I'd be in Houston tomorrow. Right. And I know he'd do the same thing for me. And I know that you can't have a hundred friends like that, but man, when you've got one, two or three people like that, you've got to put the effort in to maintain those relationships. Right. And so if a guy sort of doesn't call you for a while and sort of drops out of sight, you know, take that initiative like you'd want him to do to you if you just went off the radar and you got to call him and say, Hey man, I'm just thinking about you. What's going on? You know? And, and if he gives you a little bull, you say, Hey, wait a second, give me this straight stuff, man. Are you okay? You know, what's going on? Um, I think one of the things that I'm sort of weirdly jealous of, and you'll understand in a second, is that when my dad was in the military and the guys I talked to in my work who served in World War II, they were a band of brothers. I mean, they were going through something really difficult. They were doing it for their country, for their people they loved, and they really learned to lean on each other and to be there, to have each other's back. And in this world today, if we try to be a Superman and try to do it all ourselves and not show weakness, that's just not going to cut it. Nobody can do that forever. And there's been times in my life where I was so twisted around and I didn't know what to do. And my wife was already worried, so I didn't want to bother her more about it. So I needed a guy that I could talk to and just lean on a little bit. And so I think another thing that I've learned about guy friendships is that don't try to always say it's going to be like the previous one. So like you have your best friend, James, the next friend may not be another James, but that guy has something to offer to you as well in a different way. So embracing those friendships for what they are and then moving ahead. But I'm really hoping that through the website, through the podcast, through what you're doing, guys will be encouraged to get up, go out, engage, set some goals. And, um, you know, go out there and pursue their passion and find their purpose. So you being in a pastoral um, position, a lot of people probably come to you with maybe issues that they they wouldn't be okay sharing with others because they're approaching from a wisdom standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint, et cetera. What, and obviously you don't have to go into details of individuals, but what are some of the common issues you're finding amongst young men in particular that they're struggling with? that they come to you for guidance. Right, right. <laughs> that would really blow my cover if I, I mean, my credibility if I told people's names and everything here. Um, 
So yeah, definitely. They come to me and they trust that I'm going to hold this stuff, but there are patterns that I'm seeing. Uh, bottom line, pornography is out there and it's way too easy. And I'm going to sound like an old man, but for me, pornography was trying to buy a Playboy at the local grocery store without being noticed or, or finding one and looking at. But today, I mean, I'm looking at a website, at my website, and out pops a pop-up that says, hey, this Italian woman would like to get to know you. And I didn't click it, obviously, but that would have been so easy to pursue that line. And guys are getting that all the time. So that struggle of when I'm stressed out, guys are saying, I'm looking for some distraction relief. They're going to that kind of stuff. And they don't like it. They're not proud of it. And they're, and they're trying to keep it a secret. So I see that quite a bit. Um, I also see guys struggling with how to be a guy and a leader in this world where men are not revered so much anymore. Um, and how do I, you know, be the leader in my household without being like I'm trying to force my will. So they're trying to find their own boundaries, especially if they saw a father that tried to lead by intimidation or yelling, or uh, they didn't get to have a good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm seeing that quite a bit as well. And then, um, Temptation is always there. I mean, all forms of temptation. And it sounds like a churchy word, but it's, it's when you have self-destructive behaviors, whether it's alcoholism or drugs or gambling. I think those will always be there for guys. And when they have a lot of stress, what do they do with their stress? And what I'm advocating is you go and get the strength of a brother to help you through those stress points instead of turning to something that's unhealthy. Yeah, and the unhealthy option is the easiest option, though. Yeah, nobody knows about it except for you at that moment. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, men tend to, when they're destructive, they tend to be destructive outwards as well. So like you mm -hmm. said, alcoholism or drug abuse, those tend to be things that impact others in a very negative way. Um, and and then... You know, it's, it's so weird because we've lost, I, I think a lot about my grandfather, for example. Mm. So my grandfather in our village in Bosnia, and when I say village, I'm not talking about mud huts. I'm talking about a European village. So basically instead of suburbs, you've got villages because people have lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh -huh. So in, in our village, there were probably about 500 people when he was a young man. That was the population. Um, Probably at any given point in time, 150 to 200 of them had his last name and were anywhere between first to fifth cousins. And then, and then there were probably more cousins. I know for a fact there were more cousins with other last names in the village because of, you know, somebody's daughter gets married to so-and-so. When you think of the support system, now obviously you've also got the negative, the gossip, the, you know, everybody's in your business that you can't get away with anything, blah, blah, blah. But the support system of being in this tightly knit community of family, of your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-grandfather's brother, all this aggregate wisdom that you could go to and all this aggregate knowledge that you could access, it makes me really jealous to think about that because, you know, I've, um, I lost my all my grandparents at a relatively young age. My parents are still alive. But in the United States... It's myself, now my wife, and on my side of the family, my mom, my dad, my sister, and now her husband. 
I don't have that support system per se the same way he would have had in his 20s and 30s to say, holy crap, this little human being is five years old. He's driving me insane. What do I do? Or enter problem in here. And, right. and I don't really know how to rec- rec- replicate that to that degree. Although I understand what you're advocating for and I agree with it. I just think there's part of it that's just lost. Right. We can't go back to, you know, leave it to Beaver and 1950 sitcoms. And I don't want to portray my dad and mom as being perfect. My dad had several flaws that I learned later, uh, not like, you know, I talked about earlier, but he didn't handle conflict at home as well. He'd just take a walk. <laughs> if my mom was angry with him, he would say, well, I'm going for a walk and avoid the conversation. And I learned later, that's not the best way to handle it. You know, you're, you're, you're not dealing with the situation right away. So my dad wasn't perfect. Um, but I hear what you're saying is that that sense of living in a community where people held each other accountable and also supported that collective wisdom, that seems to be gone. I think people try to have that partly if they're part of a faith group or they're part of a, a larger like community, like a small town. But that seems to be replaced sort of by an online community. Even this podcast we're doing, people are listening in because they want a little advice. They want to hear somebody struggling with the same thing they're um, listening to. And I heard a quote from a guy named C.S. Lewis, an old-time English writer, is that when you find a friend, you find somebody that says, oh, you too? You think about it the same way I do? Is that we all have this perception, almost, or a lot of people do, that we see life a certain way, and who else sees it like this? And we're pleasantly surprised when we find somebody that sees it the same way we do, and we want to be friends with them at that point. Yeah. And I want to make one thing clear. I don't want to go back to, you know, 1920s Yugoslavia where my great grandfather was born without indoor plumbing. So <laughs> I want to make that very no, clear. Thanks, no. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, uh, there's a lot of advancements in living and blessings living in today's day and age, but yeah, that collective wisdom. Um, another thing that's really interesting to me going back to, for example, my grandfather or great grandfather or shoot my dad. Um, even though my dad's a little bit of a different situation just because of the times, but everybody in that small village worked in agriculture. Mm. Everybody was dependent on each other in some capacity. When you built a house, everybody came to build your house for you and you repaid them by helping build their house when they were building it. Um, if my grandfather got into a fight with his fifth cousin, uh, which I know he did often, one of them, um, They couldn't stay mad at each other forever because they had to go work the fields together. So they had to figure out a solution. Now I can be pissed off at you and we never have to talk ever again because we have no dependent on dependence on each other or accountability to each other whatsoever. Right. And, and that speaks to the fact that when you make a friend, you are empowering them to speak into your life. You're trusting them not to abuse that privilege, right? Yeah. That you got your back. And and guys over the years, you know, Robert Bly wrote a famous book and other guys are talking about being more in touch with your sensitive side and be more transparent and show, you know, tell what's going on inside and feelings. And I think we need that within reason um, because some guys are not ready yet to share all that stuff and some guys are not ready to hear it. I think friendship takes time and those common experiences really – tell you about each other's character 
so you can go there. Um, and so uh, different friends of mine, uh, it took time to get there. And then once you get there, you can just pick it up whenever you make that phone call. Uh, whenever we move to a new place, and we've lived in five different states, I've lived in Georgia, North Carolina, Kentucky, Maryland, and then back to Michigan. Each place, I've made friends right away, and my wife says, oh, it takes me longer to make friends. And I said, well, my friends at first are not that deep. You know, I'm just being social. I'm being a buddy, you know, talk about sports or whatever, but they're not deep yet. And she said, well, women just take more time. I said, but you're looking for much deeper than most guys are thinking about right away uh, in a friendship. So when you moved from Houston to Nashville, did you just naturally find a couple friends or did you uh, meet somebody at work that, hey, let's hang out, you're cool type of deal? Um, so when I first moved to Nashville in August of 2014, um, I had a couple of friends. So one of my friends, actually one of my roommates moved with me. So I immediately had a built-in friend. And then there were a couple people that I knew from college. Um, part of it though was, so due to the nature of my business, I'm in a client acquiring business. I am in a networking business. I am in a, you got to know people business. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost built into my day to go meet people. And from a very, very early age, I mean, there's home videos of me at four or five. I would just go talk to strangers and strike up a conversation with them. (laughs) I had zero issue with that. And, you know, maybe my parents would say, you don't need to do that. And my response always was like, well, why? Why not? It's like probably part of the reason why I never had issues making cold calls in the business world. It's like, well, I don't want to bother anyone. Well, I'm not bothering anyone. I'm calling them. I'm like, hey, what's the worst that can happen? If you don't want to get a phone call, don't have a phone. It's not yeah, rocket I'm doing science. Them a favor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how I think. I really, really do. I really think, like, even if there's no place for us to do business, like, we can be acquaintances. That's a cool thing. That's a good thing. Um, so <laughs> I'm probably a bad example to ask just because uh, I, I don't. My wife says that she wishes I cared a little bit more about how people perceive me from time to time, but I really don't care. So, yeah. Um, which ironically makes friends because people seem to feel comfortable around it. But I'm a social being. I don't like being by myself 24 seven. I'm an extrovert. I like having friends, even if we're just hanging out and grabbing a beer and not even talking that much, but I just like being social. Right. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. Yeah. Well, you sort of described that, you know, who you are, you're confident in who you are. You don't have to shove it in somebody's face. And so that allows people to know who you authentically are. So they know how to measure you. You're, you're a reliable product, man. And so I think that inconsistency, like I talked about before, can be such a detriment to really getting to know somebody. I also have had experiences mentoring guys where they latch on too much to me. Mm. Like they want me to do too much for them or answer all their questions or call me too much. And I'm thinking, no, that's not what it's all about. Like I didn't raise my kids to be dependent on me. I raised them to be adults, not adult children. Yeah. And so I want them to make their own decisions. My whole goal as a mentor or, or even doing the podcast is that guys grow, they get more confident, they know how their life works, they know themselves better. So you can see definite growth in their life because it would be a sad thing that if you were at 30 years old, and then you got to be 50 and you hadn't grown in any wisdom or you, you're still making the same mistakes. So every time I work with somebody, the goal is 
saying, okay, where are you now? How can we evaluate that? What's your strengths and weaknesses? And what's really your purpose and passion in life? And how do you get there? And some people need a lot of a structure for that. And other people have all the structure in the world, but they don't understand other people. They don't understand that relation component. And so that's part of my job is to help them uh, relate to other people and pick up on, on clues on what other people are trying to tell them. Yeah. And I think that's the key. So there's an art and a science to friendship. You know, you could almost argue that the science is it's a numbers game, go meet people and somebody is bound to be, you, <laughs> you know, sound similar. like a salesman now, man. Yeah. yeah it's, it, look, <laughs> you, you go talk to 10 people, three of them will kind of be okay with hanging out with you. One of them will become a friend. It's a numbers game. There right. you go. Um, but the art is the part that's hard. The art yeah. is knowing how to maneuver those social situations. The art is knowing how to understand when you're maybe going too far. The art is knowing how to build up a relationship appropriately over a specific period of time. That's the art. And that's something that, in my opinion, you can only really get through experience and failure, just like most things in life. Right. And I would bet you're a better husband now than you were when you first got married. Oh, and there's, there's no, you have no, idea. no way you can learn that unless you're doing it right. Yeah. Or do I need to talk to your wife on the line? <laughs> yeah. Just be like, Hey babe, you want to tell her? She, she just says, uh, I just do, uh, I just do things slightly wrong, not totally wrong, just slightly wrong enough to, to drive her insane. <laughs> well, they would, some people claim that women like a project. And so that's why my wife married me. But, uh, no, it's it's a dynamic thing, right? And life is dynamic. And so there's been times where I've had a really good friend and it hasn't worked out. And it's really been hard. And I think, what went wrong there? And do I want to try again to reach out or do I just need to let it go? You sound like you would say, oh, they're lost. Let's move on. I'm more of like, oh, man, I should be doing more. So um, that's one of the tendencies I try to see or I see in guys is that there's one group that says, oh, I need to do more. And the other guy says, no, I'm good. They need to do more. <laughs> yeah, so, that's part of the art, though. That's the balancing act. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've thought about that in my own life a lot. Um, you know, there are definitely people who have uh, been in my life at some point and then we've drifted apart. And I don't know. It, it it depends. You're right. My tendency is probably closer to the, well, I mean, I've put an effort. If you're not going to return any effort, okay. Um, but then I'll go back and forth. I don't know. It's something that I struggle with figuring out how, how, how do you, how do you do this? Right. But at the same time, we can only have so many close relationships anyway. Right. I think so. But you can also have that second tier, even though I wouldn't talk to my guys and say, hey, man, you're my second tier friend. I don't say it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is only so much room and you build up those friendships. And I'm curious for you, you're doing this podcast all the time. Your generation, how do you think guys view friendship uh, with other guys from your generation that you think is different than from maybe my generation? Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. I would say there was, in my opinion, watching my dad, which you and my dad are right around the same age, uh, and I'm assuming I'm similar age as your son. Um, 
I think in your generation, men definitely depended and leaned on each other more. Mm. We've, let me put it like this. Cause I'm trying to articulate. I'm not used to being the one getting interviewed. So yeah, but, man, uh, turn the tables here. I know, right. I, I know. Um, when you were 25 mm-hmm. and your buddy called you and said, Hey, let's meet up wherever on Saturday. Yeah. Right. You had to show up mm-hmm. or you had to get a hold of them somehow to let them know that you weren't going to show up. Right. No cell phone. I can get flaked on 15 minutes before we're supposed to meet up at the bar. Mm. Not just the metaphorical I, anybody in my generation. Right. Not cool. Yeah. The value of one's word has been depreciating in my opinion. And that drives me insane. Um, I deal with this on a professional level, people canceling meetings two minutes before the meeting via, via an email. Mm-hmm. That is a situation where myself and that prospect or myself and that client are not talking anymore. Like I will fire that client if it's a yeah. repeated, repeatable thing. That is not okay. There's a certain level of professional courtesy that needs to be established. With that said, there's a certain level of personal courtesy that should not be compromised at any cost. And I think that it is compromised because you can ignore a text message because you can, you know, flake at the last minute because you can just say, Oh, I don't feel like it. And, and just not keep your word. And I just don't know how to fix that as a society. I I, I really don't, but it, it really does drive me insane. Yeah. I don't have an easy answer either, but my concern is that real friendship to me is when you're doing things together or like I used to lead men's retreats and just getting the guys away from their regular routine and the regular um, household area and getting them somewhere else. You can just see them relax. And we would go to a place on the West side of Michigan that middle winter, I mean, it'd be cold as all get out and there'd be snow out there and we play snow football and then we'd come in and jump in the hot tub and just talk. And then we'd play Euchre, which is a Northern game you probably don't know about. Um, yeah, I was about then, to say, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, it's like a shorter, funner version of Bridge. So much funner. It was created by um, auto workers that they could play a quick round on their break from the production line. And so in Michigan, it's huge, and people know how to play it really quick, and you can talk a lot. And so we're at this retreat for two nights, and the guys are having a great time. We're not watching any TV. We're not on our phones. Not that I banned the phones. And every year they'd say, hey, when are we going back? Because it just takes that kind of um, interaction to really get to know a guy better. And, man, one of the funnest times we ever had, people are still talking about it. We played a snow football game, and a former U of M uh, football player picked teams. And he said, okay, we're going to put A and B team or maize and blue team. And how many of you have been in a knife fight? And we all started laughing. And one guy raised his hand. We said, What? And so he went on one team and then he says, how many of you guys got arrested before you're 21? And one guy raised his hand. Oh, you're on the other team. And <laughs> then he did crazy things like how many of you played uh, lacrosse or who played, who ran track or, and what he was doing, what I didn't realize later is he was giving us discussion points for later. That's because genius. All of, us, all of a sudden we realized that dude um, has a lot more than I didn't realize. And the guy who did this is named Jerry Mader and he was 
he is a huge fan of Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And it's talking about the different stages of a man's life and having a need to pursue goals and dreams like that. And even though he couldn't play because his knees were too bad and he's in his 60s, he was out as the referee. And we still talk about that game because in the middle of the game, out of a snowdrift, this mouse jumps out and we're all dodging the mouse and not trying to kill it. And <laughs> and I came in and played quarterback and they thought, oh, he's no good. And of course, I threw two touchdown passes and that's probably the last time I'll play <laughs> touch football, but I'll live in that glory for a while. But they're still talking about that. Yeah. So it's cr- creating times where you can just be men without the other pressures of life. And that can last a long way. We came back from that trip and guys would see each other at church and it's like, hey, man, you want to grab a beer or hey, do you want to go to this game with me? It was the jumpstart guys needed. And um, so I don't know what our listeners need to jumpstart some of their friendships, but I'm saying it's worth it. Get out there, try to get to know some other guys, do a, a project together or just say, hey, let's grab a beer and see where it goes. But um, that's my hope that guys are connecting and getting the support they need because life is not getting simpler. Well, and that story is super powerful. I think that's genius. I would have never thought of that in a million years. And yeah, yeah you're right. Life's not getting any simpler. Um, we're running up on time here, which makes me really sad because this conversation is really fun. But anything you want to plug, anything you want to say to the listeners, <laughs> obviously how to get to your website, podcast, et cetera, any final parting words? Yeah. How did you know I majored in marketing in, in uh, college? Um, <laughs> um, hey, we've been up in our game at Great American Man Podcast. It's not about politics, folks, guys. One of the things I'm really motivated by is that I'm really seeing a lack of commitment and character and courage and just living up to a certain level of values in this country. And it's not about politics. It's about guys stepping up. And that's why we're doing this uh, podcast. That's why we're doing this website. And um, I'd like to get the word out there. So check us out at greatamericanman.org and see what you think and send me an email. And I think you'll see some fun things in there. And I have guys all over the country starting to contribute. And I'd even be game if you are a writer just to send me an email and we'll talk and see where it goes. I love it. And, you know, I think the key there is nothing bad can happen in our society if men become better members of society. And wow. Whatever, that's, that's we're deep, half man. the population. What, what bad's going to happen out of that? Right. Right. If we continue on to improve and be real, I think it's only going to be a win win. Yeah. So. I love what you're doing with Great American Man. Again, greatamericanman.org. Go check it out. Go check out the podcast. Go give it five stars on iTunes. Um, You know, Paul, thank you for coming on. I've loved this. This has been great. Thank you for reaching out to me on Facebook. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I always appreciate the cold uh, uh, outreach. (laughs) I'm glad your wife didn't tell you just, oh, forget that nutcase, man. Just ignore that guy. Yeah, no, she's always, she's as curious as I am, actually. (laughs) She's like, ooh, who's this? Um, But again, to... To everybody that's listening, thank you again for listening. Give us a five-star on iTunes as well. That's always fun. Um, comments, questions, constructive criticism, keyword constructive. Don't complain unless you've got a solution. Okay. Millennial Manhood CIP at gmail.com. Again, millennial manhood CIP at gmail.com. 